Oxford from the inside. The good, the bad, but always the truth. Hey guys, welcome to Oxford from the inside. The good, the bad, but always the truth. Today we're here with Conrad. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yep, I'm Conrad. I'm a third year philosophy, politics and economic student at Trinity. Nice. And um, today we're going to be talking about um, exam revision tips for humanities. Um, so, Conrad, um, take it away. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, you know, I'd like to preface this by saying um, this isn't, you know, what's worked for me. I'm not preaching the gospel, although I will, without sort of kind of bragging, uh, do have a pretty good academic um, record. And like I test well. And the reason I test well is not really because of any specific exam technique or like kind of way of revision, but kind of the way I think and approach exams, kind of my exam philosophy. Um, you know, you could get a lot of exam advice from students, um, from teachers like online. You know, I assume the reason you're here is because you kind of want to hear about the things that we did, things that are different. And so the things I'm going to be talking about are really like exam philosophy, how to approach exams, how to think about exams and then how to apply this in order to get the really, really kind of best grades. And it's kind of going to start with uh, at least my personal three rules of exams. Uh, so the first one and the most important one, and this is the thing I'm really going to flesh out, is uh, you don't do economics A-level, you don't do history A-level, you don't do maths A-level, uh, you do Edexcel Economics A 2015 brackets B, or you know OCR, maths, you know, whatever the specific code is. Um, every single unique specification is the thing that you're really examined on and not maths, uh, not, you know, a subset of maths. It's really important uh, to think of exams as a criteria game. And this is my second rule. Um, people often say exams are just a memorization game. I think it's only partially true. I think if all you did was sit there and memorize everything you needed to know in many exams, that would land you an okay mark. Uh, but the thing that all exams are is they are a criteria game in order to allow exams to be standardized fairly and you know universally and fairly marked and um, they have to be produced according to a very specific criteria and in turn the exams written according to a very specific criteria and if you can learn what that criteria is if you can learn precisely what the examiners are looking for why the questions are written you can have a sort of really good go at approaching each exam and so for me um, the final thing to include on is there is no such thing as a universal strategy so if you're really looking for a kind of specific revision technique, you know, program, a kind of keto, but for exams, like you're not going to get that from me. Um, but what you are going to get is kind of like a way to think about and approach exams that I think um, kind of really should be taught and really should be stressed and emphasised. And obviously why is this important? You know, I'm sure many of you, especially if you're watching an Oxford from the Inside podcast, are probably doing... Um, like reasonably all right you know without the need to suddenly learn loads of exam philosophy you know I think if you're really really hard at working and it doesn't cost you anything you know fair enough you know feel free to switch off um or if you don't really want kind of very best grades but I think for me I'm fundamentally kind of lazy or at least I was before <laughs> the, kind of reality of third year here um but I was both lazy and still wanted like the best grades and that meant I had to be really kind of clinical um, and think about uh, exams in order for me to be able to pull off both of those things at once. 
And so, yeah, that's kind of what I think this is really about. Like, I think this is about ensuring that you can do the best without actually having to sit there and do loads and loads of strenuous work, kind of boring yourself and stressing yourself out. Um, so, yeah. So because of that, like, uh, I wrote, a, I'm basing kind of my student review username um, out, but I kind of wrote a post on this. I kind of called it clinical revision. And it really comes down to a number of things. And I'll explain the importance of these as I go along. But the first one is like know the basics of your exam, um, know your exam board, know the number of papers, know what each paper is about, understand the mark breakdowns, you know, the course name, stuff that might sound useless, um, but it's kind of just administratively really useful in order for you to be able to get the right resources, in order for you to be thinking about the important um, like things to do in an exam. Uh, honours that I met a lot of people uh, who didn't know like what exam board they were doing like the day of the exams and like that's just kind of bad because it really means the way that you've been revising isn't tailored isn't specific enough and I think um, the first kind of important thing is like this word is like criteria and it's a really really big one and it means a lot of different things in a lot of contexts it first of all kind of means the broad theme that the overall um like thing is getting you at both like the conceptual theme what I want you to go for um so like you know I did a you know history um all of the units I did were about revolutions and like you know kind of the criteria there is these were really important events like they want you to understand why it happened um and like uh what, you know what the consequences were and like just knowing that alone like already gave you really important information there the things that are going to get you marks aren't being able to restate what happened. The things that are going to get you marks are going to be stating why things happened and what the consequences were. And so that's just one kind of really simple level of what this word criteria means. There's kind of a second level, which kind of applies to the really specific um, competencies that each exams are looking for. And these are the kind of things you'll find in uh, the examiner's report. Um, so a good example is, I don't know if government and politics still do it anymore, but the old A2 spec that I did threw about this word synapticity um, which meant almost nothing uh, to me beforehand, and I've never heard it anywhere else since. But like the idea was um, for every given political issue, uh, particularly in the US, because it was the year 13 uh, US spec, there's always two sides of a debate, and they really want students to appreciate this. And so like being able to state however a lot of other people disagree for X reason was something that, you know, while it seemed kind of important for loads of other humanities subjects being able to do this was actually going to land you way more marks for government and politics and so like this is kind of the idea every different subject will weigh these different competencies um, differently and like kind of being able to read your exams report and know what these things are is uh, really important and lets you know what's kind of going to work and then there's kind of a third level of uh, criteria and this really comes down to question by question um, so like on one level there's the literal mark breakdown um, which is, I think, extremely important criteria to know um, because it tells you exactly what you need to do for each type of question in order to answer it. Um, you know, my economics A-level, um, the LXLA specification, would literally have, like, um, multiple types of questions, um, like five markers, eight markers, 10 markers, 12 markers, 15 markers, and 25 markers. And for each of them, they tell you, like, we allocate these marks according to knowledge, evaluation, analysis, and examples. And would give you these specific breakdowns, like you know, eight marker, two of each, ten marker, you get um, two extra for uh, analysis and evaluation, and things like that. Uh, and knowing that is really, really useful criteria because it literally means like, yep, yeah, I can write two single bullet points of knowledge, 
a single response of analysis, uh, a single reason why it might not be true, or why is it significant, uh, a single example, uh, do that twice over, and that's eight out of eight. That's a perfect answer answered in literally three, two sentences. Um, and like, you could be confident doing this, um, um, as opposed to the kind of usual sense of, is this enough? I don't know. Like, if you know exactly what you're doing in that question, you are confident doing it and answer it. Um, another level of thinking what to do in each question is understanding um, how each are marked. You know, so in the economics example, um, like they outright told you, um, sometimes, you know, they're not as explicit, but they will kind of always um, like tell you the things that get ticks and the things that don't. A uh, really good example was GCSE physics. Um, I didn't like, um, I, you know, I didn't find it particularly hard. I didn't really find it boring. Um, but like the mark scheme would base half the marks for just knowing stuff about the general subject matter in the question. And the examiner and the examiner's reports like would always say we award marks. Um, you know, if you ask a really specific question on light, but you kind of to new general factors about light, like they'd award you about half of the marks of the question just for that. So that meant if you were ever faced with a question you didn't know, rather than kind of panic, skip to the end, come back to it, do the usual, ah, like, you know, what am I gonna do now? Um, literally jot down everything you know in a really short space of time and you bag half the marks. And that's a simple little bit of strategy right there that you only get if you read the specification, read the, um, you know, past paper questions and, and knew what they were going for. And then the final um, kind of thing, uh, sort of like most complex conceptual tier of thinking about um, criteria in respect to specific questions is again, going back to this thing of understanding like why you're being set this question, what it aims to achieve. And this is kind of uh, given by understanding a specific question within the context of like the specification and within the context of the competencies they're looking for. You know, so if you'll set a history question, you know, at, at least I was on, um, what was the most important cause of like the collapse of burning Berlin Wall, something like that. Um, alone, like, you know, I'm sure many of you know kind of generalized advice approach a question like that quite well. Um, but I think what this paper, the specific exam was, um, so again, this was the revolutions paper. So again, important factors like what were the revolutionary effects? But not only was this the revolutions paper, this was also um, the broad change over time unit. Um, so unlike some of the other um, focused ones, um, you got credited for knowing kind of like big history. Um, and so it's actually quite useful to understand and know some of the long-term courses. So those are some of the things you want to talk about in order to show um, breadth of knowledge. Uh, you know, it's history. Um, and so they're not only interested in evaluation, um, but something that kind of um, was mentioned in the examiner's reports, um, mentioned in like past papers, mentioned in the specification, is things like... Um, being able to understand different way of, ways of interpreting history, which is a little bit different from evaluation, right? Evaluation might be saying um, scholars disagree because this is actually more significant. Whereas questions of interpretation are scholars disagree because even if they agree it's significant, they, they agree it's significant for a different reason. And it's just things like that, things which seem kind of small, but might be the difference between an A star and an A, might be the thing that gets you those specific marks they're looking for um, in order to achieve like 23 out of 25 and so on. And so when thinking about questions, it's kind of useful to have a those things in mind. For example, like the way in which the question is marked, um, banded questions have a lot more of these types of criteria, um, right? So if the mark scheme is 20 to 22 for X, 22 to 23 for X, 24 to 25 for X, it's often very different from the kind of um, economic example I gave where they are going to give you um, four points for different knowledge. 
um, because it might often means that actually you might for one subject have to think on a, like a more difficult conceptual level than another subject and it's kind of really being able to do that um, so those are the ways to think about criteria in terms of uh, mark like uh, questions so in like I've already hinted as to how to apply this to like revision what does this actually mean um, so like three things I've already hinted at which are all really important specifications examiners reports past paper questions uh, yeah, Before, sorry, we... I was just wanted to know um, could you give an example of the so the Berlin Wall and how the different ways like the examiner wants you to answer that compared to um what you what a student might think that they should do like yeah i mean so like um i think I, I do think an easier example is actually going to be thinking about um government politics and what i was saying about synopticity for example right if you got a question which was something along the lines of um i'm trying to remember what i did in year 13 uh if you got something along the lines of like um Uh, oh gosh, sorry, it's been it's been absolutely ages. I'm, I'm just trying to remember yeah. any of my units. Oh yeah, okay. If you've got a question, I love something along the lines of like, are the courts too powerful? Is the judiciary um like far too powerful? Like a good student's going to know, oh, I know, you know, all of the kind of reasons why you know it's far too powerful. And they may give um what they believe to be a really strong reason, um, kind of why it's not the existence of checks and balances, but then come back with another reason why it's kind of too powerful. Um and like those reasons might not be necessarily interrelated, but they might reflect kind of strong, independent, cohesive reasons. The problem was this synopticity requirement that specifically listed in at least the specification that I did was about understanding two sides of specific policy issues that issues in the US are really highly partisan. Um, so, for example, like what you could have done instead was taking checks and balances rather than compare checks and balances with another reason why um, actually they're not powerful is what do the Democrats and what do the Republicans both have to say about checks and balances? You know, one side is going to say, actually, no, they're just not enough. The other side is going to say they are enough. And like, that's just a different choice of argument, right? That's kind of just saying, rather than talking about checks and balances, and then, you know, this other thing, I'm going to go for checks and balances and the different perspectives of checks and balances. But one of those things is going to get you into those higher bands because it's specifically listed in the specification as this thing that we're really looking for in particular. And it's kind of the exact same approach, right? If, um, like, as, like I was saying with history, if listed in the specification is that like, we want to uh, like have people to understand um, big changes over time, then when it comes to picking the arguments that you're going to run with, picking the ones that show big changes over time are going to matter. Um, and again, like it comes down to um, like, do you know, I mean, this is a really nice segue, right? The most important thing, first thing, you're like, read the specification because the specification is going to tell you all of those things it's going to tell you um like how kind of how much you need to know kind of the basics it's going to tell you the specific kind of competency that they're looking for they're going to tell you like the themes that they're going for you know if you have a topic on like the stewards they aren't going to expect you to know everything about the stewards they're going to expect you to know certain things about the stewards and that's going to tell you what those things are um and so like specification is super important, but examiner's reports are also really, really important because the examiner's reports are where you're going to get some of the insight I provided about um, kind of like what are those things um, that they particularly like students to do, what are those things that students kind of don't do, what are those traps? And then finally, past paper questions, um, sorry, both to get like um, a flavour of um, like what sort of spec questions you're asked, um, kind of 
to get adequate scope specification, like, you know, how broad, how narrow are these questions for each of the topics, read part of the questions for a single topic in successive years to get like a cover of how much really within the wider topic you would need to know, like as a whole, because things after enough time will repeat. Um, and then also just kind of use them to like practice, um, make sure you're looking at answers when you're practicing them, make sure you're referring to those examiner's reports and to like, um, like past paper answers. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's kind of things like that. Um, and I, I and I think you know thinking about exams clinically um, isn't particularly hard to do, and it almost sounds trivial, but it makes a huge difference to the amount of kind of work that you need to do. Um, uh, like a, a massive amount. Um, like I kind of have a small amount to say, both about like um, specific stuff about like how to think about planning exams, personalization. Do you have any questions beforehand? Before kind of like on what I've said before um, we uh, move on. Not any questions, but I guess, like, would I be right in saying that? So, like, say you've got a question, like, like an exam question, and I know it's about going back to the burn wall, and you know, out of the exam, there's like ten, tens of ways that you can approach that yeah. question. But um, and you know, if you're really talented, you could provide a really good answer that'd be convincing to someone. But I guess the difference about an exam is what you're saying that. Um, if you look at the exam, the specification and the examiner's reports, you can see what the what yeah. is that what they actually want, rather than even if what you could produce would be really good, that might not well, exactly be what... like like there are kind of two things that are important that you just said there. The first one is like exams aren't about writing great answers. It's about writing great answers according to a really specific specification that has been written, most likely by a couple of blokes, a couple of individuals, a couple of people. Um, who decided for random like arbitrary reasons in order to ensure this exam is fair and standardized and universal we need to have these as our go-to criteria because we understand that people could show intellectual flair by doing other things but that you know makes it a little bit too difficult to standardize you know, you know most of the people watching this are going to be A-level GCSE students you don't need to be writing university style essays so kind of appreciating that alone prevents you from being like um like it just lets you know what's good um, like what you need to do but the second thing is kind of really important there are so many different ways to approach question and exams can be really kind of terrifying um and can't, you can often feel kind of like you're in deep you need to learn all these things and being able to know what's useful what's needed to kind of both thematically but also like practically both like this is actually like what it's, it says it wants you know this is how many marks it is in this question though this is how much i actually need to write kind of reduces all of those fears um, so much so, you know, I, at least I remember for economics that, um, you know, the top students were literally writing four lines for like 12 mark questions and they were confident because they knew exactly what it required. Like it's kind of this sort of thing. It's just kind of useful as a matter of confidence, um, both for yourself, but also, yeah, all exams are really a criteria game. That's absolutely right. Is that okay? Yeah. In the shortest possible, is that the same for university from experience? I, I mean, like, you know, I mean, yeah, university exams are a little bit weird, a little bit different. Um, but like at the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing, right? In order to set an exam that can be equally marked by everyone, um, sorry, no, like, so e fairly marked for everyone, um, like there need to be things that they're kind of university looking for in each. And so like, to some extent, they are going to be wanting like to see you understand what the basic academic field for a given topic looks like. They're always going to be wanting you to see, um, actually like demonstrate a couple of sort of back and forth to show you understand what the debate looks like um, they're always going to have this um, original thought requirement which really just means have you provided 
anything novel, you know, kind of be it just like conceptualization, um, argumentation, like characterization. So there are always going to be things that's kind of not, you can go into an alarm, like exam being like, these are kind of the things that I should be attempting to do in this essay. Um, it's kind of not as clear cut, um, you know, you, you aren't going to get, you know, we're going to award this many marks for having this many points at university essays. But I do think, for example, if you read examiner's reports um, year on year in particular, they will often say things like students are repeatedly missing this, for example, students are repeatedly showcasing not enough knowledge or knowledge only from the lecture material. And that also really does differ from exam uh, to exam, like paper to paper. I've seen some paper, for example, practical ethics, at least for PPE, is a lot more explicit about how much they like original thought and original ideas and original thinking, whereas normal ethics kind of appreciate like that's not needed as much. Like we want people to have like an interesting approach you can take, but you don't need to come out with, you know, completely massive a new argument. Um, I've read individual papers where they explicitly say um, we actually really liked the fact that advanced papers and theories of justice, for example, I read examiner's report where they came out saying we like the fact that students weren't mentioning the typical um, thinkers, they were mentioning all of these like contemporary theorists, um, whereas others aren't too concerned with what you'd like to do, right? I've read examiner's report where they say this is a really vital piece of information, or even we wish students mentioned this more, and like you only get those perspectives from reading the examiner's reports. You could be an amazing student who like thinks, oh yeah, I know all of the big names, like I can write a sick essay. And then you go doing so, kind of get a high two one, mid two one, um, one and why you can get a first class. And it's because actually what you think is good enough in terms of like the original thought requirement, they expect more in a certain paper. So I absolutely think like the element of thinking about each exam like in itself, um, like as its own beast requiring its own unique set of criteria, holds true of every single exam, you know, humanities, like university, postgrad, whatever, um, is absolutely true. It's just some of the more practical stuff is obviously easier to apply A-level and GCSE, and it's a little bit harder to kind of work those things out um, at university level, but I, I, I think the fundamentals are absolutely true. Yeah, for sure. Right um, you said you had a few more things. Oh yeah, kind of just, um, sorry, I'm getting, yeah, so kind of just a couple of things on um, both like personalization, which I think is less kind of novel, but kind of worth stressing in light of being really clinical about how you approach exams, you also need to kind of apply the same uh, mindset to yourself. Uh, you will have different strengths, different weaknesses and tailing your revision around those is uh, extremely important. And like people kind of already know and what that means but it does mean for example spending more time on your weaknesses it does mean um adjusting specific revision techniques to specific weaknesses you have um i think a good combination and probably where i realized that i'd cracked how to do exams um i just need to give this anecdote is my french gcc so i, I languages have never been intuitive to me um of all the gccs i did uh, it was one of the one i found hardest and writing wasn't intuitive to me either, but I knew the way that um, writing was, uh, I, so I knew first of all, I need to spend more time thinking about this, but also I knew the way that it was marked and there were kind of two weird elements about how it was marked, which is, um, so I have notes then. Uh, yeah, so firstly, um, like for the writing, the mark breakdown would give you loads of marks for complex phrases, things like one could agree that, and they'd also give you separate marks for tenses, so for my writing exams, I literally Googled two like cool French phrases, found 10 that were in every single tense, um, and then literally wrote those down, memorized them, and made sure I put them into anything I was writing about, because that would get me 
20 out of 30, I think, already. And then also for like speaking, speaking was my absolute worst. But the interesting thing about the way that the speaking was marked um, was they only marked you on responses um, to your oral presentation. So you'd give this two minute oral presentation, not marked, be asked questions that annual marked. So what I did was I wrote a really narrow tailored presentation. It was like problems to do with the environment in order to anticipate the questions that I would be asked in turn. And then because I knew this was something I needed to spend a lot of time on, spent ages learning those answers. So yeah, I had a great speaking exam. So I came across as significantly more fluent than I ever could be. Um, and like, that's kind of the idea, like spending more time on those things that I needed to, but doing so in a way that shows kind of real care and consideration about um, the way that the exams are marked and written. And like, so I think that's just kind of way I think about personalization. Final thing is just how I think people should approach revision. Um, don't really have too much to say other than two main things. First of all, revision needs to be goal oriented, um, which is really important, but like doesn't go said enough. I think if you're thinking about constructing a revision timetable or thinking about building um, like a long-term revision plan, make sure it's goal oriented. Make sure it's not, um, I'm revising this amount every single day. It's two things. It's have a like long-term plan of when you want to know things by a certain week, when you want to cover things by a certain week. And in your short-term revision timetable, aim to cover a certain amount in each session. Um, that's going to be so much more useful, um, both for you, like, confidence-wise, both for you, like, feel like you know what you need to do, but also making sure you don't miss gaps. It forces you to do some of those boring administrative things, like writing down all your topics, making sure you, like, know what all your topics are. It forces you to think in the way that you've done, like, blah, 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 like, so in the way that I've been saying, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, like it's it's uh, kind of the right approach and you want to do it both long term and the short term and finally like a repetition is also more important when um, when you're constructing kind of like a long-term revision plan or short-term revision time it's more important to cover more material in a short space of time but revisit it than it is to kind of space out your revision but cover like everything um, if that makes sense like if you have a choice between a revision time to put it's like 20 minute fragments of all your material in two weeks or spending like an hour doing in-depth research but you only cover it once before your exam the former is going to be useful but i will say given what i've said about personalization kind of only take that as true as much as it applies to you just nine out of ten times that will be useful for both making sure you really understand it giving you the opportunity and space to actually improve every time you visit a topic which is particularly useful for humanities um, and making sure you um, are able to fill in any gaps. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of um, what I have to say. Um, I'm like happy to take any questions. Yeah. Though. No, nice. Thank you. That was amazing. <laughs> that was pretty. No yeah, that was pretty insane. Um, yeah, just so much. Like, just like, yeah, like, no BS, but pure gold. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I think exams don't have to be scary, and like, mm -hmm. I think. I at least ever since cracking it with my French GCSE, I haven't found them scary. And yeah, I kind of hope yeah. I can share that with as many nice. No, yeah, I, I can, I, thinking back to GCSEs, I can actually, now thinking about it more because it's such a long time ago, I can really resonate with that, with my experiences. Um, I, I like, I think in terms of like, I know, being like, uh, I don't, I don't think I'm, I know I wasn't, I was not worldly clever at all until like, and I was a bit more aware of the world, I'd say now, but my exam results did not replicate that. My exam results looked like, oh, this guy knows everything. And my, I remember my approach 
Um, I mean, as far as GCSE results and A-level results can say about a person. <laughs> but um, I remember, yeah, I, my, my behaviour in class was, I uh, would have an exam, like a test, and I would, I would look at the grade boundaries and like the little bits next to it yeah. that explain how, what you need to do. And I'd read it and any words I don't understand. So like if I didn't understand what I needed to do, I was asked the teacher. And until I exactly knew what I needed to do and then just do it, um, and if I and if it didn't work, I'd come back to the teacher and said I did what you did. Like what happened? And then yeah. just like obviously, I I didn't do it right, and they'll explain why. And they, you know, staying there until um, until um, I understood where what went wrong. And sometimes, sometimes yeah, I mean sometimes teachers don't want to mark you well, and sometimes I yeah. didn't do well. It, it happened swings and roundabouts. Um, but um, no, yeah, I can fully resonate yeah. with that. Um, yeah, I think one feeling everyone gets in every single exam um, is the vibe that if all you had to revise was like this topic or this subject, or you only had one exam, it feels so easy, but all the difficulty comes from the fact that you have to do, you know, 13, uh, at least in my case, at GCSE, uh, three, four A-levels, or like so many papers at university is where the difficulty comes from. But like a part of me thinks if you really kind of consider each paper like in its own beast, the amount that you need to do per paper drastically narrows down to the point where actually kind of being able to hit top marks on all of each of them looks feasible. And so again, it's why I've been stressing kind of like a confidence um, like aspect of all of this. I think there's a degree to which having a kind of universal approach to exams in general uh, makes you so much more inefficient and just makes them seem scarier. And like you being more inefficient does actually make them scary because they are literally harder because here you are trying to do like all of this learning the truth is in terms of actual material i've dedicated very little time to learning of material uh, i'm awful at rote learning i'm awful at sitting there and uh, not even memorization I, I can do i just find it horrendously boring i've never been able to sit there for hours on end most of the effective vision i do do is things like just writing essays things like thinking things i find fun but the reason i've been able to do that is because i have developed the ability to really kind of know what is a right amount to learn per exam or like how much i can get away with not knowing um i want to say something i've kind of missed um, just because every teacher has told me not to do this and i've not followed their advice um, but the predictive element of doing all of this is pretty astounding. For GCSE history and A-level history, I predicted every non-source-based question to the point where the days before the exam, I wrote model answers to what I thought were going to come up and they all came up. Um, and like I was predicting questions left, right and centre for every single um, GCSE and A-level I did that was humanities focused. Um, purely because I'd read all the past papers, I knew the thematic and conceptual elements. Like I had a, such a strong sense of what could come up um that like I didn't need to therefore you know be the guy sitting there learning for hours on the end so like as much as this kind of all sounds like it's very sweaty and sort of high level um I personally at least think this is the easier lazier approach um but yeah, but no, yeah. that's me I, I can definitely see how like if it, I mean, with anything if it's an approach that the majority aren't doing it seems a bit scary to go against yeah. the tides but um, I this like everything that you've said, you've backed yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't makes... recommend banking what I did, which is only learning the stuff that I predicted. Um, it takes quite a lot of confidence, but I, I, at least I would recommend you kind of being clinical the way that I've, I've been on about. No, no, for sure. Um, so, can you um, 
What was your, like, it gave us a what's the stock tour of your experiences of using what you've said from GCSEs till now? Like anything, is there anything that um, you've missed, that you missed out that were quite key? Oh, what's the stock tour? Um, I mean, yeah, I think the examples I've given are, I've been good. Yeah, what I will talk about actually is, um, so I've given kind of load examples about how to apply this sort of things, but in terms of how this affects my overall revision strategy. Yeah, so for example, um, A-level, um, the very, so people, one question people always start is when should you start revising? But, you know, if you kind of haven't pointed that, like got the gist of this whole entire spiel, it depends on the subject, depends on the topic, depends on you. So a very specific feature of the government and politics A-level in year 13 was that they'd vary the questions far more than any other A-level I'd ever seen. Um, they'd seem to like ask different takes on the same topic, way more so um, than like anything I'd come across. Um, but like, it doesn't really matter because the like synapticity requirement meant often for a given topic, you could just be like, one perspective on this, however, and a kind of take an argument that was like similar. So let's say this is the first time they asked the question about um, uh, like um, restricting voting rights. But you vaguely know from your other topics that Republicans are like against that sort of thing. So it's always possible to say one response to this is that it's a restriction of freedom. So the actual learning of the content, um, like in terms of the arguments, in terms of hitting this synapticity requirement, wasn't a problem. What it did mean was uh, all the facts that you'd need to know might vary quite a lot. So what, the very earliest form of revision I did in year 13, um, once I identified this, was about January. So halfway through still my learning, uh, we were allowed laptops in class. I stopped paying attention to the teacher because the stuff that he was talking were all the things I knew you could kind of come up with to meet those statistics marks. And I started making uh, a list of facts for every single past paper question in the hope that that would be enough to cover what might come next. Um, I didn't learn them, but like um, knowing what they were allowed me to basically, I don't want to say make them up, um, but like cram kind of as many as I could have a gist of what sort of facts would apply, kind of be a little bit liberal or loose. You know, but the point was come exam time, I was way more confident in what sort of facts I might need to know than anyone else, irrespective of whether I actually took the effort to sit there or learn them. Like I learned quite a few through the process of just kind of making them anyway. I'm not gonna lie, but I do have like an okay memory, thus my lack of need to sit there memorize. But like, that's kind of one example, right? So this was the very first formal revision I took was in identifying this thing like a year in advance. I realized actually the thing that was most useful for politics required me to spend ages doing this really extensive, really boring work. But that's because actually once I knew that I could hit um, kind of all of these marks kind of quite easily doing this thing, which I stopped doing in May was gonna set me completely straight. And so I didn't start um, other topics until later. History, most of my effective revision was creating uh, past paper questions. Um, for the reasons I've said, I was pretty strong, confident in what would come up because I just knew the course um, thematically so well. And I knew the way it was marked. It was marked in bands according to some of the criteria that I've said. So I kind of had a rough sense of what a, an OK essay looked like. Um, economics, I started a little bit earlier than, uh, that's, no, that's not true, no, that's a lie. Economics, I didn't start that early at all um, because the economics course, at least um, that I did, awarded marks so easily and 90% of the marks they awarded um, essentially analysis evaluation uh, marks um, were for being able to, well, for things that you could think of on the spot right things like what's the benefit of growth what's the cost of unemployment and so I didn't revise any of those things in the textbook and that led me to revise facts except I didn't need to revise that many facts because I knew that facts were only ever like 
four out of 25 marks, like at, at max, something like that. So economics was one of my sort of least um, uh, like intensive. Maths, I can't, I'm not gonna lie, I can't, maths, physics. It, actually, what I said about physics GCSE, so it, it's still possible. Uh, maths, I didn't really do it, because uh, there's not much I could do other than loads of practice papers. Maths isn't as easily game what I'm afraid, you know, this is primary humanities talk. But I think that's kind of like a rough sense of how in the space of a year, I kind of approached each topic. Um, and like, I think at university, I'm very much doing the same. Every single paper, to be honest, every single topic that I do within each paper, I, I, you identify themes in the examiner's reports for each of them and like identifying those themes and identifying um, the kind of uh, patterns you see in past paper questions means my strategy right now is to write representative past paper uh, questions. So um, pick the past papers that I think are most likely to be transferable to the topics I think are going to come up and just write um, past papers for those, not in time conditions. I'm not doing anything in time conditions until much closer to the time. I'm using this as an opportunity to like fill in as many gaps as possible. And that's like, this is kind of the idea, like I kind of know what I'm doing for each paper. I can't really speak to whether it's gonna work at university because you know, I, I haven't done my exams yet. And you know, I might completely fail, in which case like, if you're watching this after I have failed, don't listen to me. Um, but like, yeah, I think is this is definitely just now a kind of rote way that I think about any sort of test that I do. Um, and like, it's worked for me in the past. Uh, it worked for me first year of university, even though I did have a little bit of mail with economics, but again, that's kind of maths. And hopefully it works again. But I, I, yeah, I've, I've at least I can attest to that. You know, this has helped me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, because I do chemistry and maths and further maths A level, it's strange. Like, yeah, in some ways, you can maths like I don't know what the new A levels are like now, but I imagine it's yeah. very similar. But um, you can massively game them in the sense that part like past papers is king. <laughs> who's done yeah, the more past? Who's yeah. done the more past papers will more likely do well. But then. The thing that you can't skip is, yes, like it's basically a method and you just do it a hundred times yeah. and then you can do it. But if you don't understand how to see the methods, that yeah. that part, I don't know how you cut corners. Like, Yeah, um, I mean, like, yeah, that's true. Like you just, that that, that initial bit of, you gotta get, grab your teacher and just be like, I, this, this right here, I don't understand. And then get them to click it for you. And then, and then the past papers, but um. Because it's not like, yeah, because it's, it's, the uni mass isn't like that at all. It's much less gameable yeah. uh, than, it's not just a rote, yeah. rote past papers. It's a bit more, it's a bit more flexible. Um, one thing I wanted to say was um, back before you were saying about um, approaching exams, thinking about them all at once. I'm um, Something I really resonate with that is, so I know my GCSEs alongside lots of students here um, with, like they were pretty good um and and i realized in, in hindsight looking back i never i never planned or aimed to get like i didn't I, like i was never aiming for 11a stars that was never a thought that went through my mind yeah. what how i approached it just sort of naturally it was just so much more as you said like less stressful was each subject i would be doing exactly. i would be aiming for an a star like I'll get the I'll get the exact yeah. like the grade boundaries and I'll look at the top and I'll aim for that and obviously at the beginning you'd get somewhere in the middle and you just keep climbing up and then you you've done French whatever and then you moved on to history and then you do the same and then you if you do that enough and it's a, yeah definitely a lot yeah you know, like, if I was, it's a lot less stressful because if you're thinking of eleven that's a lot but yeah. if you think one at a time 
by the end you've got almost 11 or like yeah. and achieve something that and um, I think you so literally perfectly described every single exam experience that I've ever had because I had moments both in the mirror and also on results day and also like before and you know, after I'd done my exams I'd be like well yeah I feel like for each exam there's kind of no reason why I couldn't get an A star. Like, you know, I, there's, I'm looking at just this. I'm focusing on you, like Alex Early Economics A, 2015. And like, this is an A star. I'm, all, I'm doing the same. But then I think, wait, that's going to end up being like all of these A stars for both GCCs and A level. Like, that seems a little bit ridiculous. Uh, but like the kind of ridiculousness of it didn't put me off only because I'd done those sort of individual things first. Like I'd got to a point where I realise that the thing that does put people off is taking that like holistic approach first and be like, no, there's no way I can like kind of bag all of this. Like, as I say, like if people always are already saying like, GCC would be so easy, you know, if you only had one, like, well, you kind of, yeah, I guess time-wise it's going to stretch you thin. But other than time, like each GCC is one, like the difficulty hasn't changed. Um, and yeah, I, I think thinking about it that way has is just kind of again, like even if just a confidence piece of being like I can do it, like useful. I mean, there's two like, two things that come to mind that are quite important about that is that one of them is I think we all know like we like I know our GCs would be easier if there was less, um, but then and I think the situation like the grass seems to always look greener and like yeah. uh, I think whatever you know, end of the day exams are exams and. I think, and I know it's part of British culture as well, but put that in there, we're always going to find a way to complain and like, think that it could be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, yeah, like, I think if it was easier and we lived in that situation, we'd still say the same thing and find something else that, that oh, could have been easier. Yeah. Just like, oh, I think if you, if you have a feeling that, oh, it's a shame that it wasn't this because it'd be easier. Sometimes those arguments are really valid, but either way, they don't help. Like you are yeah. in the situation that you're in and um is like you spend more time it's a bit harsh advice but you spend more time getting on with it rather than complaining yeah so, um that's like a pinch of salt argument obviously like if, if you come like yeah if you're like if it's affecting your welfare massively then obviously don't advise like take it there yeah. all the pinch of salt with that and yeah. um and um the other thing that um wants to say was um I really resonate with what you were saying about the the goals orientated um, timetable. Because so for me, so with my exams right now, and I've done this every single time for any exam. I did this for when I was preparing for interviews, and I took it quite extreme, quite hardcore. Uh, Not necessarily, but um, I like wanted to know a certain amount of things by the interviews. So like with these exams coming up, these finals. I've gone through the exams um, and written out a list of topics that keep coming up. Some of them, they tell you these are the topics you're going to be examined on. Yeah. Examined on. The other ones you've got to sort of work it out. Um, I've got a list of like, so, you know, got a list of dates for um, Sunday. So it's like end of Sunday, like by end of Sunday and then all of them listed out and then just got this list of topics and just sort of at first, because I mean, doing it like carefully takes a lot of time but just sort of fitting them in wherever at first so getting this large large amount of topics i need to get done and then putting them in by like you know each week that by this week i've got to do this and then once they've once you've like that's 60 percent of the timetable done now you've actually got to make it realistic make sure you're um 
making time to consolidate because if you just revise you know if you just revise something in first the first week and then never revisited it and never planned to do that you got to like plan to revisit it and um i think the the great thing i think the my, my main point is that if you write out everything that you need to do by the exams and then also have a plan between now and your exams you can see like months ahead that if, if you're if you don't do what you do like you're, what you're planned to do today you can see that you're behind like in four yeah. months like because because you know that if you continue to do this then by the time the exam days come you're gonna have to um you're gonna like not do everything that you wanted to and for me and uh, and that's also okay like for me everything every exam that i've ever done to some extent was damage limitation i don't think like i wouldn't that's not something i would advocate for but um for me i mean damage limitation is a my personal way of, of like describing it but i mean damage limitation beer worked and i did quite well uh, so far so in the sense that it came to the exam and i was banking on certain things because time was getting short and i had to focus my attention to certain things exactly. and and yeah as you were saying um throughout the whole thing but um i do think having like the list of like the amount of time that you've got between now and your exams and all your topics and splitting them accordingly because then you can see um you can see quite quickly that oh there's too much and you're gonna you're gonna have to choose right now um because it because um if you try to do all you can quite clearly see that mm. there's not enough time uh, which is also quite fair it's it's so useful i mean i yeah i kind of do i'm not going to quite share my screen but i kind of want to run through i have a strategy sheet like what what that looks like and why it's so useful it's like on sheet one i have eight papers for ppe i wrote down every single topic that i've ever done for each of them uh, I know that in the exams, I will only have to learn three. I looked at the past paper questions for every single paper to see how confident that I am that I would be able to answer like a random three. And for all of them bar two, I was reasonably confident actually I wouldn't struggle with them. And so for those ones, I chose four topics out of everything I was learning, highlighted them. For the two topics I was less confident, I chose five topics, highlighted them, added up to a total of about 33 topics. On the next sheet, I just then just wrote down those 33 topics. And on top of that, have a week by week calendar as to when I'm going to like want to learn the things by. And the sheet afterwards is there for the day to day calendar. But what the goal oriented looks like is I'm going to learn well, no, I'm going to have written an essay or essay plan for this topic and in turn made sure I cover all of the um, kind of basic like gaps. And so like that's kind of what it looks like. But already within that, it's allowed me a to know exactly what I'm going to be doing going into each exam. B, it's also allowed me to have a really good sense of what my strengths and weaknesses are. So I know that the days I do this, I might need to, for example, not have something on in the evening because I need to spend more time on it, right? Like uh, things like that. And as you said, if things are looking like, actually, this is kind of not possible or no, this isn't working, it lets you change around things and rejig so, so easily. Um, like another confession is that I'm awful at following a revision timetable. I followed one revision timetable in my entire life. And that was, I think, Easter of year 12 or four marks. I remember it because I was like, oh, I actually followed a revision timetable. Um, but like, it doesn't matter. I have them anyway, because it's so easy for me to rejig and keep me focused the day like next, even if it's going to like fall flat and I'm going to have to like redo it again. And I think, yeah, just that confidence it instills it with, oh, right, I have this many days, I know this, I have this to do. Even if that's constantly changing, like your actual plan is changing. It's just very useful for staying on top of it. So like, I, I couldn't agree more. 
Yeah, I definitely, for me, the idea of having a revision timetable that's not unlike a Word document or for me, pages on Apple yeah, um, yeah. is like, in, like I I change it all, like, oh, every, yeah, daily like, for me. Yeah, yeah like because, because, you know, like some days you, you get more done or some days you don't get yeah. as much. Like for me, like uh, I... It's not it's not the takeaway message from Stalin's five year plans that you're supposed to take. But I remember when yeah. I learned when I learned about it, and I was like, oh wow, like, I mean, like yeah, that from really uh, over ambitious plans, they didn't reach them at all, but they achieved some things that no one thought they could. I mean, obviously, like the actual backstory that's important is an unbelievable amount of people died. But but my point is is that you if you don't have a flexible revision timetable then it's more likely you're going to give up straight away yeah it's like i think uh, having it on a word document or whatever like uh, some like if you have it written down for me personally it's just going to get messy so quickly because you just cross I mean, across yeah it. like i think for me mine aren't flexible as they're written but my mindset is i can change them whenever i want to like it's less important that i stick to it than it is that i have it down because in having it down i've already had to do all of those things that are so useful to revision and like it's still giving me a constant check of progress. So yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like, definitely don't write it down if that's going to like stress you out. But the important thing is to never have something fixed that you adhere to. It's to have in clear mind your goals, what you want to achieve, when, and how close you are to doing so. Like that's kind of what it comes down to, and that's the uh, the important thing to stress. Also, yeah, uh, two things I wanted to say as well is that um, you can. So if you have like if you have like a few like maybe two things you want to get done like two topics in one day um you can sort of if you yeah if you have more than one thing that you want to do you can sort of use one of them as procrastination if you're not feeling 100 percent. like if you're really and i think when you're really in the throes of revision you find that i mean don't do it too much because then you realize that you're not doing that one thing that you're really struggling with but you can you get to a point where you can use other revision topics as procrastination because then you're just always going getting steps further towards where you need to be um but yeah the flip side of that is if you i wouldn't ignore something for too long because then you might never do it and the other thing was there's this idea of pomodoros it's quite a pretentious name in my opinion but um i don't know if you've heard of it but um yeah i mean yeah i have heard of it i think the only thing i have to say on stuff like that the reason i avoided giving revision advice like that is just because it's very kind of personal um I'm mm. not very good at intensely focused revision, um, mm. namely because I don't like doing any of the sorts of revision that require it. My perfect revision strategy is give me a day, like I can honestly behind a TV, listening to music, just kind of think and mull over an essay. And like, I'm happy with that. I'm not really keen on super efficient, mm. but it does work for a lot of people. I think pe particularly people who have that problem, but do still kind of need that like intense focus, you know, maybe they're doing like a science or, or just, in, or can't, or, you know, aren't doing sort of like, me like isn't me like isn't rising that way yeah so pomodoro technique just for i guess people explaining it is um uh i mean it's kind of formulated loads of different ways but since you set a timer for what, 20 minutes at a time mm. um and then like a very very short break um mm. do that about um is that i think do i think it's about four to six times um if you've done it before you might know the specifics mm. um and then take a longer break the idea is you're never revising for too long at a time um, but within those 20 minutes, you go completely cold turkey, um, shut off all your browsers, shut off all your devices, do really good focused revision, um, but it's not too long to tie you out. Take a short break, recollect your thoughts, do that again. And before you know it, you've done, um, 
you know, an hour, two hours of really good revision, which for most people is better than six hours of, you know, mediocre revision. Yeah. Um, and then you get like this break all in a really bite-sized chunk. So that's a, that's a good revision strategy. And like, that's a lot of ones teachers recommend. Um, but yeah, like it doesn't really work for me. It doesn't really work for how I revise. Um, but yeah, no, I think like, this is actually, this is, thank you, this is something I missed um, when I was talking about personalization um, because I mentioned strength weaknesses, knowing how you revise, how, how you work, is also another really important thing and that comes with testing out a lot of different things um you know you might have a teacher who's kind of really into the boring side of this which is you know are you a visual learner are you like uh do, do you learn um you know by just doing this do you learn by hearing and it, it sounds kind of like you know a, a little bit try a little bit kind of like i just came back from a course but it is actually really useful um because it will often mean you don't need to do a lot of the stuff that like just waste time i spent I, far too much of my um, revision making flashcards in general when I kind of didn't really need to ever um, that was a primary revision tactic I did for a very long time just because it's not kind of the way I learn mm. um, but like yeah so testing out loads of different methods like the Pomodoro method is very useful because once you know how you learn how you learn best that's again matter of efficiency you don't need to waste your time you know feeling mm. bored stressing yourself out doing the things that aren't helping so I definitely recommend giving yourself leeway to experiment and then like once you find mm. what's stick with yep. it like nice yeah i think as i was just sharing my experiences with pomodoros um just yeah i i fully yeah before that do strongly advocate for like this is not the gospel like the yeah, yeah um finding your like personal ways to revise for sure um but for me um there's a few benefits that i found for pomodoros is that um it's um so it's it's really helpful for when you're going from zero to starting so um, if you're like not doing any, if you're starting to revise and you've got this huge mountain to climb, yeah. doing uh, 25 minutes uh, is, isn't that daunting. Um, uh, and how I, so how I structure my days and like how serious you take the 25 minutes is up to you as well. Like some say like, yeah, cold turkey, like nothing at all, like no computers, no, like just the work. For me, I like, for me, like it's just twenty-five minutes of product, like productivity, like of work, and, um, and it's not too serious. And when the timer turns off, I see that as um, when say so there's, there's a timer and it goes off, and my twenty-five minutes are done. I see that as I've got permission, I guess, to stop. But if I'm in a stream of like in the flow, I'll keep going like five more minutes. And if I kept going for another like twenty, then I would count it as two. And uh, the main thing that I found really helpful is that I saw, I like, I'm someone who likes to do lists and like, I get that dopamine release of taking something off my to-do list. And um, every day I'll start the day and I'll have like a, I'll, I'll have like a number, like a word document, like on my lists. And um, I might, it might say like 15, like I want to do 15 Pomodoros today. And after I do each one, I'll take it down to 14, 13, et cetera, et cetera. And it just, working for loads of hours a day is just a daunting idea like that's just like it's you think about it it's like that's just quite a lot and um even like working for like I mean, the idea of like i'm going to sit down and work three hours like that for me that's quite a, that's that's quite a daunting task but just doing one pomodoro at a time and then and then i would like and the idea is never to actually get zero if i get zero that's great and i'll go to minus one minus two but it's just getting like just doing one at a time it's just it's the idea of instead of approaching exams it's like you want to get 11 
um, or 11 or 12, all A stars, just at one at a time. I definitely think it makes the, um, you know, you're sitting down, you're just going to do 25 minutes of work. And um, that for me makes work so much less stressful. And then, and you also feel good because at the end of each day, for me, from 15 to like three or four or seven or eight, it feels good to see the how many I've done. And it's just like a way of, I guess, like keeping tally and getting that dopamine release of like the similar feeling of taking something off your to-do list, like ticking something off. Um, yeah. In the green wall. Obviously. Yeah. See how that works. I think the vibe is... Um, I think the interesting point is precisely the specific things that you did for yourself um, to adjust Pomodoro. And like, that is the important thing, right? That mm. is, that is what's going to get you through. Um, and yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, if there's, a, if there's anything we're going to end with is that, I mean, yeah, this is about exams, revision techniques, but pretty much any advice, but yeah, any advice anyone ever gives you take what they've said. And, and when you try out yourself, um change like and you feel like it works better when you change it subtly in the, in your own way then definitely do that i think like uh for the, if i was to, the best example that immediately comes to mind which has nothing to do with what we're talking about is but it's sport like yeah you know sport develops because the top athletes change what's what everyone else is doing and doing a slightly new way and then 10 20 years later that's the the way now and it's the same with like revision techniques you might hear what we're saying think what conrad said is like insane and then develop it go a step further in yeah. a way that we haven't thought of and you should definitely do that like um yeah whatever as you said personalization whatever works for you and just cherry pick everything you hear um but yeah um but that is unless there's anything else conrad that you've got to say Nothing from me, unless you have any more questions. That's yeah, that's everything. Yes, that's good. Um, yeah, that's all that we've got time for today. Um, thank you so much, Conrad. Um, no worries. <laughs> if this has helped anyone, it's definitely helped me from my revision for finals. <laughs> so, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, and thanks for the viewers for watching, um, whether it's on pod, your podcasting platform or YouTube, Instagram. Um, stay safe and uh, good luck with the revision coming up. And we'll see you guys next time. Good luck all. Take care, everyone.